So, Patty, uh, today we, for the first time ever, we actually have a gift card guru. Uh, oh, I'm telling you, this was a very cool interview, James, and he yeah. was very passionate, but he got me passionate about it. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I, I think our listeners are really going to appreciate this. Find some opportunity here. Yeah, I think whether you're uh, whether you're looking to sell gift card solutions or you're looking to convert people where you're trying to make a sale and they already have mm -hmm. gift cards, you need some help there. This episode is going to be a, a big help to you. And then tell us about the Insiders Report. Uh, it's a big, uh, big interchange news week. Uh, we're talking about uh, a lot of things with regards to uh, changing interchange rates, as well as uh, interchange in the legal crosshairs. And then uh, you have a great question from the field, James. Yeah, so I talked with an agent yesterday, actually did a screen share about LinkedIn and how to really op optimize your LinkedIn profile. So I share three keys with a fourth bonus tip on how to leverage LinkedIn as a merchant sales professional. Right. Awesome. Great. With all that, I think I'm ready to go. If you are, Patty, let's dive in. Let's, let's dive in, James. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. We are here today with Larry Rubin. Larry is the gift card guru at Swipe It. How are you doing today, Larry? I am great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, jumping on with us. I love your title, gift card guru. That's fantastic. Yeah, very 23 cool. years to get there, so it took time. <laughs> Well, of course, a guru, you know, takes time to build up their uh, expertise. Exactly. So uh, Patty and Larry and I are going to be talking about gift cards today. We're going to be talking specifically about small and medium business owners. How do we get these business owners excited about gift cards and excited about the opportunity and talk about resellers and all that? So I'm really excited. I don't think we've done an entire podcast interview on gift cards, uh, loyalty program, that type of thing yet. So I'm excited to dive into that. Before we do, Larry, uh, as a first-time guest on the podcast, we want to get your backstory. So I know you've been in this for a long time. Tell us about your journey to get to where you're at today. Yeah, so uh, we've been helping small businesses with gift cards for 23 years. Um, it wasn't a profession that I was growing up, but I said, when I grow up, I want to do gift cards because they didn't <laughs> really exist. Sure. Um, so when I was a junior at UMass Amherst, um, we saw this guy walking around, uh, and he was selling an off-campus meal plan. So we had this plastic card and said, you get this card and then you eat at these 20 restaurants. We're like, oh yeah, that's cool. But I already paid the chef. So I have to eat in the fraternity house. So I'm good. But that guy was around next year, senior year, and we saw it. Um, so when I graduated, I actually started an off-campus meal plan in Boston. Um, so the technology is we found a technology partner and then we went around to some restaurants and this was 1998. And we basically started this program at Boston College. And um, it was tough in the beginning, but it started to take off. And from there, we went up to Ithaca, New York, to Ithaca College and Cornell University. And then we went to uh, College Park, Maryland, um, uh, University of Maryland there. Go Terps. Uh, I'm a Terp grad. Oh, you're a Terp grad. <laughs> so you know the bagel place. Everyone eats at the bagel oh, place. Oh, the bagel place, of course. Yep. Yes. Um, Which was then, a soda fountain when I was in school. <laughs> yeah, that was gone by the time we got there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, and then we went up to Greenville, North Carolina, to East Carolina University. So we were doing this whole um, universal gift card, um, basically an off-campus meal plan for the college kids. So that's how we got the technology. Uh -huh. And then 1999, 2000, we started seeing a gift card. So one card that could be used just at one location. Mm -hmm. um, Home Depot, Starbucks, McDonald's came up with the Arch card. So we said, huh, well, we kind of, we can do that. So we had already switched our company from Swipe It Meal Card to University Meal Deal to really tie into the colleges. Sure. So then we went back to our Swipe It Meal Card. We took Meal Card out, threw in technology, and now we're Swipe It Technology. We started going around Boston, and uh, we went to one guy who was very receptive, and he said, this is great. I have a good friend down the street who owns two restaurants. So then we went down and talked to that guy. He said, great, I have another friend who has seven restaurants. And it just started taking off to the point where eventually we completely got out of the college uh, meal plan program. Um, and it was a good time because the market started to go sour. Parents weren't really um, keen on spending $2,000 in the beginning of the semester to give this money to their son or daughter. Um, They're like, you know what, why don't you use a credit card and we can pay it over time. Right. Um, so basically, it, it kind of all happened at the same time. Uh, the other thing with the college plan is the meal card had a PIN number on it. 
So okay. to use it, you need to put in a four-digit PIN because, you know, some college kids have $2,000 on it. If you lost it, you didn't want someone to pick it up. Right. Sure. However, you also had drunk college kids calling the customer service line at 2.30 in the morning trying to get a <laughs> slice of pizza, but they forgot their PIN number because they drank too much. Um, so all these things kind of allowed us to say, you know what, I think we're done with the college market and the gift cards are starting picking up pace. Um, you know, the fact that McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks were doing it, it, it was easier for us. When we first went into a restaurant, we said, hey, we want to sell you on gift cards. He said, why do I need a Hallmark card? I'm a restaurant. We're like, no, 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 a plastic card. So <laughs> it was great that the big guys jumped into it because it actually helped us explain what we were trying to do. So we really sure. were doing this like in the beginning. Wow. So, so let's, I want to start this conversation by kind of framing this a little bit. I think a lot of the people in our audience have lost sight of the gift card a little bit um, and the, the benefits of it. So let's talk about from a merchant's perspective, you know, why should a merchant have their own gift card program? And then I guess kind of a, you know, correlated question to that is why do a lot of them still not, or do, at least they don't really promote it to Mac. So what, tell us a little bit, kind of frame this conversation about, you know, why merchants should really care about having their own gift card program today. Yeah. I mean, so number one, why should they have it? Additional revenue. I mean, there is no other product in the world that someone gives you the money and then they say, okay, maybe I'll come back. Maybe I won't. So you're holding that money. So the, the revenue that you generate off the gift card is huge. Uh, it's great for cash flow. We actually had a lot of restaurants during this COVID survive because they almost took a loan from themselves. Mm -hmm. They had all this unredeemed gift card money. And they said, well, I could go out of business or I could use that to stay afloat. And they did. Right. I mean, we have companies you know, small restaurants that we've been working with for, you know, 20 years. We run a liability report and we see that they have 200,000, 300,000, 500,000, a million dollars in gift card money that's waiting to be redeemed. Right. Um, so the revenue is there. Uh, so they definitely should be doing it for added revenue. The other thing is it does bring in new customers. You know, like, so think about if I like a restaurant and I go out and I buy a gift card to give to my friend, he maybe has never gone there. So I give him that gift card. He goes in. He loves, wow, these are the best Buffalo wings ever. So now he's going to keep going back without the gift card. So again, it's an introduction to new customers. So that's another big thing. Uh, the other one is it's not just a gift card. We don't want to just wait for someone to buy a gift card from us. We right. want to use this technology. It could be a marketing tool. It right. could be a customer service tool. It could be an employee benefits tool. I mean, we have companies that are using this for all these different things. Someone has a bad meal. Yeah, we could comp it and we might never see them again. Mm -hmm. Or we could say, here's a $25 gift card. Come back, try us again. We just had a bad night. Or, wow, that employee is doing great things today. Give him a $50 gift card to come back when he's not working so we can eat. You know, so there's all these things that we right. can do. Right. Um, we had a, a restaurant owner who we printed a plastic business card, which was also a gift card. So he would preload it with $25. And whenever he was talking with someone and he liked it, he whipped out his gift, his business card and say, hey, here's my business card. It's got $25. Come check out my restaurant. So it's thinking outside the box. Very, very and To cool. your point is why are they not doing it? Sometimes they don't think outside the box. You know, they're so tied into, right. I open it up, I make my pancakes, did it, and I leave. And it's like, Right, get the bigger. You have to spend some time and, and energy and effort on the gift cards. You know, you you bring up the uh, the cash flow. I remember, um, you know, when the COVID thing began, myself and you know, I and several of my friends specifically went out and bought gift cards at local restaurants with that intent. You know, like I know I can't go come here now, but I have the money now. It's already been budgeted. I'm going to spend that money and help out that local merchant. And I was surprised in one case where the restaurant owner was like, wow, that's really cool. Uh, I never thought of that. And I'm like, if I were you, I'd be marketing these right now because there's a lot of people like me who want to keep small restaurants in business. And uh, I think to me, I mean, it just seems the cash flow opportunities. And when you add on the marketing, I mean, if they aren't doing it, they should, right? But I mean, we know small business owners, they're being pulled in so many different directions. So, you know, we don't, certainly we don't blame them. You know, they of run out of not. time. Sure, they don't sure. know how to do it. They think it's too expensive. Well, that's why, okay. Well, with our gift cards, we include monthly consulting. So 
we will get as involved as the let us. You know, we'll sit there oh. and we'll do brainstorming. We'll go to the website and we'll come up with ideas and say, okay, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Right. Um, right. They, maybe, so there's a lot of things that they can do with it. Maybe yeah. they've had a gift card guru in their life before. You know? That's right. Everyone needs a gift card guru. That's what I'm trying to tell people. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about a story uh, talking about outside the box with gift cards. Um, one of my clients had a uh, large pizza shop and he was really trying to grow the pizza shop. He had several locations. And what he did is he went and every year uh, through our company, he would get, he would buy a thousand five dollar gift cards. So mm -hmm. five thousand worth of gift cards, which as you know, cost a good bit of money, especially back then it was pretty expensive to buy the gift cards. But he would buy a thousand five dollar gift cards and every year he would donate those to the various schools in the area. He would then get a tax write-off by donating this value, uh, mm -hmm. to, right? Um, and then as a result, they would run fundraisers where they would go and say, you know, buy these gift cards and they'd give them away or whatever they want to do with them. He's like, I don't care. You don't have to pay me anything for them, you know? And he said, inevitably, every year, that's where almost all of his new customer acquisition came from. Because every year, the parents would all get these. And he said, people come into the pizza shop with a $5 gift card. Well, of course, right, right. if you walk in, you're going to spend 30 you know? Right. So he gave that $5 away really as a discount. And of course, only, you know, 60% of those would ever even show up in the store to be redeemed anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think, I think you're right. I think it's interesting. There's so many strategies. So let's talk about restaurants. You, we, we've mentioned it a couple of times already. Obviously, restaurants have been really hard hit by COVID, right? So talk to us about how that's affected them, how that's affected the gift cards, and then what do you believe these restaurants should be doing with their gift card programs now that many of them are starting to reopen, maybe a limited capacity, but you know things are starting to open up again. What's your, your advice that you think our audience should be telling their restaurant clients about how to handle gift card programs? Yeah, well, as Patty mentioned, um, in the beginning when COVID first happened, she's right. The gift cards is what saved a lot of restaurants because people, communities were rallying around. We got to help our, you know, if you don't buy the gift cards or you don't take takeout from the local favorites, your local favorites are gone. Right. Um, so in the beginning, everyone was buying the gift cards, even if they didn't want it. You know, I'll buy it now. I'll use it later when, when, they, when it's okay. Um, so that was the first thing that was, was helping. Unfortunately, I don't think we, anyone realized or thought the COVID would last so long. Right. So we all rallied in the beginning to save the restaurants. And then month after month after month, unfortunately, we then started to see some of these smaller guys losing the battle. You know, they just couldn't make it and they went out of business. Right. So what effect did that have on the gift cards? Well, it kind of happened right before December, right before the holidays. You know, we've almost been in there for eight, nine months. Nine months. They started to go out of business. And then it was like Christmas, the biggest gift card holiday ever consumer confidence was low because people were thinking, ooh, um, Jimmy's Pizza Shop, they're small, they're struggling. I don't know if they're going to make it. Maybe I shouldn't buy a gift card. Mm. Um, right. So then it's like, so now their revenue goes way down. On the flip side, we started seeing um, universal programs like Chamber of Commerces or Downtown Associations, places where we have um, multiple um, places where you can redeem the gift card. Consumer confidence went up because, well, if Jimmy goes out of business, there's 27 other places that I could use my gift card. Right. So we actually were getting a lot of phone calls from people saying, hey, we want to set this up for our town or for our chamber. Um, so it was interesting seeing both how it, it helped and then it kind of went way down. That's, that's such an interesting concept. I, we didn't, uh, on the last time I spoke to you, we hadn't discussed that. I mean, is that really popular seeing the chambers of commerce um, and things like that, setting up a gift card program for their members. Is that something you're seeing a lot? Yeah. So uh, like this is a little town that where I live. And so it's, it's doing two things. It's promoting and helping the little guys, the local businesses. You know, they're not, get, they're not asking Walmart to join the program. They're asking all the mom and pops. Right. Um, oh. And then they're saying, and then it's like, okay, we're raising all this money, but we want you to spend it because now we can funnel it out to all the local businesses. Sure. Um, sure. So yeah, it's, it's been getting very popular. What That's a, yeah, very cool idea. I hadn't not thought about that, but I can think of a lot of places in yeah. in my head that would really benefit from that right now. Yeah, well, I'll give you my information at the end of the call. At the end of the call, yes. <laughs> so I'm assuming, and I, you know, I know uh, we have a follow up question here, but I, you know, I'm assuming in that specific case, I know a lot of our audience. I can always kind of sense when they're probably perking up, and I think that idea you just said, they're all like, "Oh my word, I've got to go talk to the Chamber of Commerce about this." So in that scenario, I'm, I'm guessing that all of the members that want to participate would have to 
probably purchase some kind of a standalone terminal or like how would they accept these cards? Right. Yeah. So you're jumping ahead to some of our other questions, but yeah. So one of the things when we talk about integration um, is, yeah, it's great to be integrated into your POS system and your standalone terminals. But again, when you're running this universal program, I need, everyone isn't going to spend money. So the great thing that we launched, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago was an app. So as long as they have a tablet or a smartphone, we throw their app right on it. And then when we actually do the gift card, you can see, we can put a QR code on the back. Oh, so okay. now they take the boom, they scan the QR code, and now they can do the transaction right through their smartphone. That's really cool. breaking down that barrier of entry because we all know equipment is already right. difficult. You know, right, I can't right. use that. I can't use this. Now it's like, you're going to tell me you don't have a smartphone. You don't, even people have extra tablets or they're like, oh, I have a tablet that I'm using for Grubhub or I have a tablet that I'm using for my reservations or my mm-hmm. accounting. So, yeah. right, right. So that has really helped. So let, let's, let's, if you don't mind, I'd love to turn to sort of where the ISOs and other resellers yep. fit into this picture. You know, it's not something I don't hear a lot of ISOs and, and MLSs talking about gift card programs. So, and that's something I've always wondered about in the back of my head, you know, like, what is it, you know, what is it that this is just not a natural, right? So what do you, you know, how do you feel the, uh, you know, the scenario is for ISOs and agents, you know, how, how should they engage? Should they even be engaged um, in promoting these programs with merchants? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, they apparently they just haven't met swiping because we've grown our whole business over 23 years through our reseller program. We okay. don't have salespeople. All of our salespeople are typically mostly credit card, POS people. Um, and the reason why you don't see a lot of it is because I think they've had bad experiences in the past. They've worked for these large companies mm-hmm. who number one, they make it difficult. Right. To, you know, there's all this paperwork and how do I do that? Oh, we don't know how you do it because they don't care. They only care about, I want my credit card money and that's it. So the gift cards kind of get pushed aside. So they had a bad experience. The other thing is they're like, I'm not even getting any gift card revenue. Like the big companies aren't even sharing that revenue with me. So I'm doing all this extra work for gift cards really for nothing is what they think. Right. Um, but we feel like, no, you're not doing it for nothing. There's actually a, a big reason for you um, to do gift cards. Um, and you just need to work with maybe a different gift card company. And I'm not saying Swipe It is the only one. There's other companies, I'm sure, maybe not as good as Swipe It, but that are out there. <laughs> I mean, because we were, but you know. Yeah, I mean, we hold their hands. Um, we send them samples. We offer free design. We basically want to say, send me the agreement. And then go back to do your credit card stuff and let us handle it from there. And we'll do everything. Um, so again, it goes to, we have some resellers who hand it off and they don't want to hear anything of it. Then you have other resellers who need everything to go through them. You know, they want to do, they want to be the ones who build them. They want to be, see the gift card proof. Everything has to flow through them. And from us, we're like, whatever works better for you, we're fine with it because you're helping us grow our business. So, but, so, yeah, I'm just wondering where the revenues then come in. Yeah, so I was yeah. going to say, why sell? So increased revenue, because you make money off when they actually buy the plastic gift cards up front. There's uh-huh. revenue there for the reseller. That's one. And again, they don't have to do anything. We do the design. We do the proofing. So there's the revenue part. So that's gift card printing. They make revenue. If they do any custom or generic carriers, there's revenue. We have a small monthly fee that they can mark up. We have a small transaction fee they can mark up. And if they're selling their gift cards on their website and we're doing the fulfillment, there's also a little piece of the pie of that they can mark up. So they can make revenue in three or four different places from us. And it's, we pay them out every month, a little bit of, you know, they're not going to retire off of it. Right. You're not going to get a, a beach house. You know, it's, it's small pennies, but it's a little extra revenue. Number two, it's keeping that client sticky. You know, the more things that you can have with that client, sure, the more reason they're going to stay with you. Um, but the biggest thing we see is the gift cards are an alarm system for your credit card processing. We all know that you could lose your biggest credit card account without even knowing it. But with gift cards, you can't because you can't just switch gift cards because the cards have money that are attached to a database. And so we'll get a phone call from someone saying, Hey, uh, yeah, we're looking at switching up uh, the Franklin first uh, credit cards. We need some information on the gift cards. So right there we say, oh, well, we know that this is through a reseller. 
So we quickly pick up the phone and we say, hey, Jimmy, we just got a phone call. I think you might be losing your credit card. You want to give them a call. Um, and so we're happy to do that because the credit card guy is our partner. Right. Um, so now they know, oh, let me go and find out what's going on. And it it might be as little as, oh, I, I don't know. I just I got a I got a postcard and said that I can get better rates. So I'd call them. You know, again, sometimes they don't really think through, they just react to things. Um, and so that's why our job is to say, hey, relax. You, you're, the credit cards that you have now are good and let's talk about it. Um, so that's that's a big thing, I think, is just letting them know and and um, you know, being on the same team as as our partners. Yeah, I love it. I think, yeah. uh, you know, one of the things we should probably talk about here as well that I'm sure you deal with all the time is, you know, our audience, if there's one thing about gift cards that they're all really passionate about, it's how much they hate when they're trying to make a sale and the person has a gift card program. Yeah. They all hate that. I know I certainly hated it. Like, you know, it was the, like the plague, you know, I'm like just about to close the deal. And it's like, all right, I can just see the residual. And then they're like, now we do have a gift card program. And I'm like, oh. And that's the thing with gift cards. It's always like in the back of their mind, like, oh, wait a second, we do it. We want to put the gift cards in the front of their mind. But yeah, it's always. Our audience is very familiar with how sticky gift cards can make an account, which is why they should be selling them, to your point. But what about for those members in our audience that run into this situation? I'm sure many of them are listening right now having this problem. Um, is that something where when they call, you know, if they were a swipe it partner, they reach out and say, hey, I want to sell this restaurant, but they've already have an existing gift card program. Can you talk for just a second about how you handle that and how you help them, you know, walk their merchants through so they can actually get the sale? Yeah. So again, they didn't have a gift card guru in their corner so that they got stuck. Yeah. So from there, we would say, oh, so we just need to do a conversion. Right. And to do a conversion, X, Y, Z, this is how we do it. And it, conversion will work differently depending on where we're t- where they're coming from. Sure. So they have a heartland and I'm converting them, you know, they're going to a different credit card product or they're using the internal micros or value tech or this one, world pay, whatever it might be. So we know Aloha, you have to get this report. Square, you have to get this report, but you don't, don't let them give you the one that have the alphanumeric numbers. You need the token number, not the this. So again, it's 23 years of knowing how to do a conversion. The biggest thing with conversions, number one, at least for Swipe It, we don't charge any fees to do a conversion because we look at it as we want your business. So right. we're going to do whatever it takes. But there's there's companies out there that charge hundreds of dollars to do oh, a conversion. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so we do conversions for free. And the other thing is you really need to take your time and do it right because if you mess up a conversion, you mess up someone's entire database. And, and something as little as... They sent me the Excel file, and then when I opened it up, the formatting changed, and all of a sudden, every gift card number has zeros at the end. Oh. Now, it's something that me and my gift card specialist, we see it, we're like, oh no, we, that the report's wrong. But they don't know, you even ask them, do all your gift cards have zeros? Oh, I don't know, and then they pull up the card, like, oh no, it doesn't. So it's like, well, we almost just imported 40,000 gift card numbers that were wrong. Um, so it's really taking the time, and you know, sometimes we need to get a test card where we test what is encoded on the Mac Stripe and what number is printed? Because there's also some companies out there that print a different number that's encoded on the Mac Stripe. So again, all these things, all these little things can come up and you really need to work with your gift card company to make sure that we're, when you're doing conversion, you're doing it correctly. Because like, you know, like you mentioned, if I'm doing this conversion, that means that I'm getting a new customer. And you certainly don't want the first thing with the new customer to be like, Oh, Hey, I saved you a little bit on your credit cards, but I completely screwed up your gift card program. Mm-hmm. They will, they will absolutely hate you if you do that. Yes. Uh, I have to, I have to share one other funny story here on this. So I actually had one one time where I wanted to get the sale so bad and I could not get anybody to help me with this conversion. This is a long time ago. I didn't know that there was uh, gift card gurus that existed. Right. So I'm trying to do this conversion. I can't make it work. I end up getting the current liabilities report showing all the cards, right? It has like the card number printed in the balance on that card, I literally printed this out. Oh, probably no. Probably pages, maybe. And uh-huh. it was in, like, numeric order, you know, uh, and I, I laminated, or not laminated, but I put them in these, like, sleeves and made this book. And I actually had this poor restaurant that when people would come in with an old card, they'd have to look at the card and flip to the spot in the book where that was. <laughs> oh, God. And they would see the balance, and then they would give them that amount off. And if there was any left, they would load it onto a new card. And it took them literally like two years and they 
hated me. I was going to say. Putting them through that. I was like, never again will I do that. So uh, for those listening right now, the idea of doing free conversion, being able to tell people, hey, uh, you know, I work with Swipe It. They want your business so bad. They'll do the conversion for free. Um, it, when I was selling full-time, I would have loved to have been able to say that. So that's that's really great. So, um, all right, so let's let's move on here. So we've talked about the benefits for the businesses. We've talked about the benefits for the ISOs and the resellers. Um, let's talk about technology. So all these technology companies, technology integrations, you mentioned Square, you mentioned Micros, you know, Aloha, others that maybe even have internal programs, Toast, you know, these others. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, where you see the POS integrations and the technology integrations today, even online ordering? What is the state of technology integration and how is that impacting the gift card, you know, industry? And how do you see that impacting ISOs and, and agents trying to resell these programs? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly, number one, there's, I feel like every day there's a new POS system. There's a new online ordering company. Right. Uh, there's a new delivery app. Um, there's a everything. I mean, and, and we're seeing it all the time and you want to try to get integrated in everything. Um, but you also don't know, you know, all these companies certainly can't survive. So it's trying, well, should I spend the time and money to integrate with this one? Are they going to make it? Um, so then it's like, well, maybe I should just look at the big guys and try to integrate with the big guys. Of course, integrating with the big guys is a lot more difficult because there's so much more red tape. Sure. So it, it is tough, you know, and a lot of these integrations I'm finding are really driven by the wants and needs of the clients. Right. Um, so we don't have an integration. Our integration with Aloha is not finalized yet. So now we're going back to some of our bigger clients and saying, hey, you use Aloha. You're using a standalone terminal because we're not yet integrated. Wouldn't you rather be integrated? So can you help us push this right. through? Right. Um, but then we also mentioned that, you know, being able to have the app and the tablet certainly helps because now it's like, hey, don't worry about it. If you don't want to integrate into, we can do a standalone device. Um, right. We are seeing people switching all the time um, POS systems. I think a lot of that is due to there's so many now tablet-based POSs. Right. So instead of having to get a whole new computer system, it's like, okay, I have the tablet. I have the printers. I, I can go from Toast to UpServe very easily. I just need new software. Yes. Yeah, I think I think that's you bring up a really good point. I think it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out, you know, over mm -hmm. the next five or 10 years, because, you know, one of the things that made point of sale systems so sticky before, of course, you have the inventory and kind of the data, but that can generally be exported pretty easily. You know, I really believe a big part of it was that hardware component where it's like, I don't want to buy all new hardware. But now with all these SaaS solutions being primarily, you know, app based, um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So, um, yeah, I think it's a super interesting um, one, one other question I want to ask you about. So when we think about small and medium sized businesses and then we look at their larger competitors, you know, we look at Walmart, we look at uh, what now I'm forgetting the uh, Olive Garden, Red Lobster, whatever that company is that owns them and Longhorn, they own all these restaurants. Right, right. Uh, when we look at all of these huge monsters and we see what they're doing with gift cards, clearly gift cards are very profitable. I mean, they're making a fortune. They're very focused on it. What do you see these big companies doing that you don't see these small and medium companies doing and how to swipe it, help them to really close that gap and start really making a, a lot of headway with gift cards? Well, I think, you, you know, right as you were saying it, the, the big guys are focused. And I think that's the big thing. The little guys don't have, I mean, the big companies, not only do are they focused, they have a, a person whose job is to handle their gift card program. Right. You know, the small ball and pop is like, yeah, that's my job. I also have to take the trash, cook the food and order the food, you know? So right. I right. think a lot of that is they don't have the time, um, but really they need to know, you know, use market what you have. If you have a gift card program, market it, right. um, you know, add e-cards, sell your physical cards online, make it available. Um, and then look at things that are available for free. Like, you can add a face. You can add a gift card link to your Facebook page for free. Your Google Business page for free. Your TripAdvisor page for free. You know, there some of these companies are saying you can list it and there's no cost. Right. Um, the other thing is saying, okay, I do like what the big guys are doing it, and you can do the same thing. Maybe just scale back a little bit. So I would say, you know, you go out there, steal all of their ideas, right. and then say, okay, these are all the things that we love. Now we'll contact Larry, the guru, and see what we can do. You know, so really, we're just going to scale it down to what we need it to do. Right. Um, and we help you to make sure that it's cost effective. Um, so I think those are the big things, just saying, you have this program, now use it. I mean, right. there's, we have all these companies that ask us to sell the gift cards online. We build the page, we send them the page, 
all they have to do is add a gift card button and then we go with it. They haven't added it yet. It's right. like, well, what are you waiting for? Right. But you go to their website and they have the reservations tab. They have all these other tabs that maybe aren't even making the money, but the right. one tab that's going to make the money, they left off. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So I think it's, uh, I think it's super interesting and it's funny because, you know, after all this great information, I still think a lot of our audience is probably like salivating over this idea of reaching out to you and they need to do a conversion, <laughs> which is funny right? <laughs> I plan to ask you, but yeah. I know because I just know this industry, I know the salespeople, you know, the number of times that they run into that and it is a deal killer is just insane. I know salespeople in our industry that literally don't even market to restaurants because of that one. They're like so afraid of the gift yeah. card. Um, so it happens a lot. So I, I know a lot of people in our audience are going to want to reach out, re-engage this idea of gift cards. Tell us where they can go to learn more about you and to learn more about Swipe It. Uh, so really the best thing to do is to email me, Larry at swipeit.com uh, because I love gift cards. Uh, I'm a guru. It's all I do. Like I, I'll sit in front of my computer all night and answer emails about gift cards from resellers, from clients. Um, so COVID has me working from my home office, which means I can wake up at seven, come down here and start working. And I can work until my wife tells me to stop, which if she goes to bed means I can just keep working. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we love building the business. We love working with small um, mom and pops. You know, it's so much different than working with the large companies. You know, when you work with a smaller, not even just the, their clients, even our resellers, you know, even our individual credit card guys, they appreciate the help that you give them, you know, and you're working together on a project. And the merchants appreciate it. And when they get the gift card in the mail, they'll, oh, we got the card. They look awesome. And like, you like to hear that stuff. Like you like to know that you're making a little difference in, you know, what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, and it's fun. Every day, you know, we wake up, we come down, we start doing gift cards and we have a good time. That's awesome. So that email address was Larry at swipe it. That's just one word, all lowercase there, S-W-I-P-E-I-T, swipe it.com, right? Yes. New website coming soon. So the old website has had 23 years of band-aids. It works. Yeah, yeah. the updated version is going to be incredible. Awesome. Uh, it should awesome. be in the next couple of months. It's going to be great. Awesome. awesome. Well, Larry, uh, thank you so much for your time today and the information you provided. You are definitely a gift card guru. You live up to the name, and I think our audience enjoyed it. So, Patty, we've said it before. We'll say it again. Valor Paytech, the official sponsor. If you are selling standalone terminals. Oh, yes. Why aren't you selling Valor? Um, it's amazing as I'm having conversations, consulting, talking to executives. Almost everybody I'm talking to now is saying, yeah, I, we checked out Valor. They're, they're starting to look at that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's good companies out there for sure. I have nothing against Verifone and Deja Vu and all these others. But, you know, the, the thing is, you want to have that seamless integration, you know, omni-channel solution that has cash discounting or surcharging built in. Um, I really don't think you can go wrong looking at Valor and, and, you know, seeing if that's something that might be the right fit for your organization. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Valor's been our sponsor now for a few months. So uh, if you're, if you haven't been to the website yet, please go to ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R. Awesome. Awesome. So head over there and check it out. We think you're going to love it. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So Patty, today I just very quickly want to cover the importance of LinkedIn. All right. Oh, wow. So important, James. I mean, it really is. You know, if you are a, you know, sales professional of any kind today, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. really need to be active on LinkedIn. Um, right. When I say active, I really mean three things. So I'm just going to really quickly give three tips on how to really be active on LinkedIn. Um, number one is make sure your profile is up to date and looks professional. Um, right. I, this conversation came from Chris, who is an agent that went through our six-week jumpstart program. And he asked me as, as part of his last call on that coaching program to do a screen share of his LinkedIn profile and help him to complete it. And so, you know, we went through and talked about, you know, your, you know, your tagline that you have right under your name, which is what everybody sees. You right. know, you don't necessarily want that to say, 
trying to make life better for the world. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that sounds great, but nobody knows what you do. Well, like like our last interview, uh, you know, Larry, payments. I mean, a gift card guru. I mean, that's that's a perfect kind of yeah, tagline. Everybody knows what that means. So, like in this case, you know, this agent had something to the effect of, you know, eliminating payment processing costs for you know business owners in this particular area. So, you know, he's selling primarily cash discounting. And so that's his, you know, tagline. Um, then, you know, making sure that in your about section that you talk about who you target and be very specific, use geographic terms. If you sell locally, use geographic terms, you know, and say, mm -hmm. hey, if you're a small to medium business owner in the Atlanta area, we should connect, you know, um, and, and so be specific. Um, and then make sure you have a complete employment history. Um, one of the things I worked on with this individual was, you know, he had put his current position and like the, his last one, but he didn't have any context. You know, I said, man, if I was how he got there, yeah, I said, if I didn't know who you were, I would think that you were 19 years old or 20 years old. Like it, it doesn't have much context. And this guy has been in the industry for 25 years. So I said, mm -hmm. you know, put your previous positions in there, show a timeline. Um, so that's number one, updated profile. Number two, make sure you're inviting everybody that you meet to connect with you. Every real life connection as you're talking to them, have your app, pull up your app, you know, LinkedIn app on your phone, get their email address and say, hey, look, I'd love to stay in contact with you. I manage my connections through LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're really active on there, but do you have a LinkedIn profile? Yes. Okay, great. What's your email address? I'm going to send you an invite right now. So get those connection requests. Um, and then finally, number three, be looking and using the search functionality in LinkedIn, which I think is amazing and powerful, especially if you use their sales navigator tool that, that costs a little bit extra. But use that search capability to search through your network to find people that you can go and prospect to. So this is, I think, the most underutilized part is that mm -hmm. we have this idea, well, I'm going to send a connection request. And if they accept my connection request, then maybe I'll do something. Well, no, just send them a connection request and then walk into their business or give them a call. Right. And say, you know, hey, oh, is this Susan? Hey, Susan, you know, and you know who they are because you got their picture on LinkedIn. You know, you walk in, you see her. Hey, you're, you're Susan, right? Oh, hey, Susan, you might not you know, not recognize me. I actually sent you that connection request on LinkedIn yesterday. How are you doing? Yeah, let me ask you, James. Would, would you also advise that it would seem to me that um, I know I often when I do LinkedIn requests, I do a little personalized note. Yes. Hey, we oh. met, you know, we met on the podcast. I'd love to, you know. Yes, absolutely. So. You know, what I tell people is if you have something relevant to say, then say it. And if you don't, don't say anything. So don't give the generic spammy kind of thing. Right, like, exactly. Yeah. I help businesses eliminate their credit card processing fees. And I thought we should connect. You're right. going to, people are going to mark you and say, I don't know you. And then you're going to get banned from LinkedIn pretty quickly. Right. But don't, if you said something like, hey, I'm a, I'm a payments professional, you know, helping, helping merchants, small merchants in the Shenandoah Valley. You know, but, but again, it's funny. Even if you do that, you'd be surprised. Those actually don't pan out great. What I would say in that case is just leave it blank. Okay. Ask to connect. When you want to connect is, hey, I saw you at the BNI networking event last Friday. Okay. Like if you actually have a real interaction with them, you know, hey, I, I met you, you know, yesterday at your business. It was great to meet you, you know, then definitely include that. If not, any kind of sales approach, generally, you'd be surprised people people really recognize that instantly because you get so many of those. Somebody like me, like on LinkedIn, I get 20 of those a day. And I literally have a full-time employee here. And one of the things that she does is go through my LinkedIn profile and delete those and mark those as I don't know that person because right. they're spamming me, trying to get me to buy stuff. So uh, yeah, I, I get the same thing and it drives me crazy. That's yeah. why I was wondering. Yeah. So really just do those three things. Um, if you want to go beyond that, you'll know, get your bonus points. Um, post some content consistently on LinkedIn, whether it's sharing other people's content that you think would be relevant to your audience um, or posting your original content. That's always a bonus. But even if you don't want to do that, if that's not your forte, make sure your profile is up to date, right? So you mm -hmm. got to have that profile up to date. That's just a key um, you know, point there. Make sure you're connecting with all of your real life connections. And then finally, make sure that you are, um, you know, as you're, as you're making these connections, then make sure you're leveraging the search capabilities to find new prospects that you can go uh, prospect into. Good stuff, James. Thanks. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com.
Okay, so uh, James, you know, card interchange is in the news again, and not necessarily in a good way. Yeah. Uh, the Wall Street Journal just published a pretty detailed account of how changing consumer shopping habits are playing, you know, putting a lot of pressure on merchants in the form of higher interchange. You right. know, and with both Mastercard and Visa, it's coming up on April first when they do their new fees. Um, you know, the pressure could be even greater from what I understand, particularly for online merchants, uh, restaurants, and uh, small supermarkets, small grocers. Right. Now, you know, we, I know we've had quite a few discussions over the past year about, you know, shifting buying habits, you know, more online purchases, plummeting restaurant tr and travel and entertainment sales, cash usage is down. Right. I, I just wanted to share a couple numbers from MasterCard that really put this in perspective. Sure. Uh, overall retail sales uh, across the MasterCard network grew uh, just 0.3% from March 2020 through January 21, 2021. Okay. Um, wow. That's compared to that same period in 2019 slash 2020. Sure. Online sales across the network grew 57%. Wow. Yeah. Wow, right? That is crazy. So you is mean... So with those stats, you're saying that MasterCard is going to increase their card not present interchange. I can't imagine why they would do that. <laughs> right? Exactly. Right? I mean, and here's another interesting piece that I got out from the Nielsen report, as reported by the Wall Street Journal. Uh, total interchange fees for debit and credit by MasterCard and Visa combined fell 17% last year to $44.4 billion. Um, but here's the thing. Debit card interchange was up 13% and totaled about 18.1. Now, I mean, I'm just sitting here doing the, the rough math, but that's like, what, about 40%, would you say? 40% of that 44.4 yeah. total? I mean, that's pretty significant. Um, yeah. And again, I think that's you know part of the COVID thing. People are leery of putting too much on their credit cards, so they're preferring to use their debit cards. Yeah, I think so. You yeah. know? Yeah. And, um, and I think that that the first number that you gave, I think, is a strong indication of this pricing action that they have coming up. Exactly. Pressure from shareholders to say, you know, you got to make more revenue on this interchange side. Right. And so that to segue into that, that's a perfect segue, James, <laughs> you know, because against all this, you know, we have the latest round of interchange updates that are uh, going to make certain transactions, particularly e-commerce transactions, more expensive. Um you know, I think we talked last year, a lot of these hikes were going to take place back in 20, April of 2020, right. but right. the card brands kind of postponed that because of COVID. Now, I haven't seen any any of the rate cards. I don't know if you have, but the journal reports that it has, and among the categories that are going to be impacted, obviously, most e-commerce transactions, although Visa said it will lower interchange for online merchants that adopt its tokenization service, you know, which aims to curb card fraud. Right. But that will be until October when the second round of uh, 2021 changes take hold. Sure. Um, Visa is also increasing interchange on most credit card transactions where the uh, consumer purchases, you know, orders online and then pays with the card online. Right, right. Um, and this one I thought was interesting. MasterCard is hiking interchange for rewards cards used at small supermarkets. Yeah, yeah. Um, because of obviously they can't do it at the big supermarkets. And um, right, right. And know, well, and because supermarkets again, I mean it's it's a they have a much lower rate, right? Well, yes, but also it's it's a fairly transparent strategy here, where the card brands basically are saying which where is most of our processing volume taking place? Where mm -hmm. are we seeing growth? And let's increase the rates that they are paying and let's right. increase the rates of the ones where we're not seeing the growth. Um, I'll give you a couple, just to give a little bit of context since you're talking about this, I pulled it up. Um, and this is not the absolute like final guaranteed version, but this is like an early release of it, of the chain. Mm -hmm. And I mean, <laughs> there's the thing with this one is there's not as many categories that they're adjusting. Right. But, but the adjustments are big, right? Wow. So to give you yeah. an example, um, you know, some of the mid-submission level stuff, you know, right now is 2.4% and 10 cents uh, with Discover, you know, mid-submission uh, is going to go to base submission level 3.05%. So it's mm -hmm. 65 basis points. Right. Um, you look at some of the real common ones, um, you know, reward, Visa Rewards too, 
right? Uh, from 1.95 to 2.05. So that's not a big 10 basis points. It's still right. The ones where you're going to see a, so like a, like a U.S. visa electronic current uh-huh. 0.4% going to 2.6%. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, different things. So you're seeing a, I'm looking at the list here. You're seeing anywhere from a 10 basis point up to even a 65 uh, basis point increase for a lot of these card not present, B2B, um, downgraded type transactions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On the flip side. Right, I was just going to ask you about the flip side of that because I my understanding is some of the low dollar ones is where the interchange is going down. Um, yeah, which so- is interesting because I, I see that as cash displacement, right? Yes, uh, for sure. Yeah, they're trying to drive more of that. Um, right. You know, some of the, I'm trying to look at a good example of this here. Um, some of the card present business cards went from like a 2.3% down to 2.05, you know, so you're seeing a drop okay. of anywhere from, you know, negative 10 basis points, negative 30, you know, is mm-hmm. kind of drop, um, you know, with restaurants being one of the ones where, you know, the restaurant for MasterCard, the restaurant category as a whole, 2.2% down to 2%. So that's wow. a t- yeah. drop for restaurants. That's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty um, big deal. Yeah. Anyway, I know we have an episode coming up where we'll dive into a lot more detail once these <clears throat> numbers are firmed up. Exactly. Right. But I, I think it's worth, you know, just kind of bearing in mind. And uh, yeah. I also wanted to talk about, you know, interchange being in the legal crosshairs, you know, in uh, the financial software giant Intuit has filed a, a lawsuit in federal district court alleging against MasterCard and Visa, alleging that the interchange rate setting amounts to unlawful price fixing. Yes. Uh, it says it's paid billions of dollars in interchange network and related fees since 2004, I think, which is about when it started doing its online QuickBooks uh, or thereabouts. Um, and it said that, you know, it's incurred these fees not only as a merchant, but as an ISO and as a payment facilitator. Right. Because, you know, it acts as an ISO on a pay factor. Right. Right. So- right. So they're also giving... Um, more voice to this complaint about the card brands skirting the Durbin Amendment requirements around debit card routing. It's been a big, I've talked about this in the past about how merchants feel that the card brands and debit card issuers have put up roadblocks to routing through less costly regional networks, which the Durbin Amendment says that merchants should be given two choices. Right. Um, And, you know, a lot of these networks cannot support EMV. So right. uh, particularly for pinless debit. Um, but to and, that me, was, and that was referenced earlier when you were talking about the increase in uh, debit interchange. Right. You know, exactly. a, lot of, a lot of that is from this routing and the way they're the way they're handling interchange, if I understand it correctly. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and also a lot of that debit interchange income is coming from the fact that you got to remember the Durban Amendment caps interchange, but only for the biggest issuers. Right. Yes. So, so you know, uh, gives gives Visa and Mastercard a little bit more leeway in pricing debit interchange um, involving those smaller uh, FI issuers. Yes. Cards, but uh, to me, this whole Intuit suit. To I mean, from my vantage, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it appears to be the first of these type of interchange challenges ever filed by um, an ISO or a Payfac. Yeah. And I, and I think it's because it's a slippery slope. Yes. Um, you know, our industry, you know, do we want more regulation or not? Um, mm-hmm. Most would say we do not. Um, and so I think the problem is as we're bringing more attention to this problem, taking it to court, um, mm-hmm. natural, you know, step here, you know, they've already regulated Durban amendment, already regulated debit to some extent. Right. We really want to see it. And again, it's not like this is a crazy idea every other developed country in the world today has Does. entirely regulated interchange. Highly regulated. Yeah. So I think and it's, um, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a slippery slope. I think Intuit is doing it because they largely do flat rate and their clients, their merchants tend not to care how much they charge because they're, they're doing it because of the integration with QuickBooks. Right. So if they can get that underlying cost reduced, it's such a big win for them that it's worth the litigation. Oh, I would imagine it's more than worth the litigation. I mean, you know, a yeah. billion dollars, you know, you know, 
even the most high-priced lawyers aren't going to cost them a well, billion and, dollars and, and on the, an annualized basis. Yeah, but you know the other thing too, Patty, is it's it's a huge play for them uh, at increasing their you know EBITDA, you know, because their profits like moving forward. It's mm-hmm. not like if okay, let's say that they won this, and so right. you know the the car brands reduce interchange or it gets regulated in some form or fashion in 24 months. Well, if that happens, it's not like they're going to be passing those savings on to their merchants. Of course not. Their merchants are all at 3% or something, you know, flat rate. So it's just going to reduce their underlying cost by 60 basis points or something ridiculous. And so it's going to be a huge win for them if they can um, pull it off. Yeah. And, but and we should also note that as, you know, all these battles, legal battles over interchange take years and years oh, and years to work their way through the court. So. I wouldn't expect anything even in the next 24 months. I agree. I agree. I mean, you might, you know, the only thing you can sometimes see is you'll get little movements from the card brands trying Mm -hmm. trying to ameliorate the concerns, kind of like trying to, you know, ease their way out of it. Sure. Right. Yeah, really interesting stuff. I'm sure it'll keep us updated, but that'll be fun to follow and see see how this goes with into it. Yeah, thanks, James. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Paytech, bold ideas, smart execution, make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.